Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's Sunday morning. Time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, and of course we have to welcome back and a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning everybody out there. And looks like it's going to be a nice day. I think it is. Yes, yep. again. Yep. Isn't autumn just so nice? <laughs> I look, it's the best time in Melbourne uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's just wonderful. And I might add, people need to get in their car and start making trips out to the hills. The trees are turning. Yesterday, driving from the nursery home, there are the most beautiful pin oaks turning around Mm. Mount Macedon at the moment, and there's claret ashes all going claret, and um, so the autumn's really underway, and if you want to go and see some good colour, you could start now. Yes. So today would be a good day to get in the car and go for a drive. If you've got nothing else to do, uh, go to the hills. Either Obviously, I'd like you to come to Mount Macedon. Of course. (laughs) Naturally. Uh, But you could go up to the Dandenongs as well. I'm sure there's colour forming up there as well. And, um, yeah, and these lovely sort of balmy autumn days Mm. with no wind and, oh, it's just gorgeous. I love Mm. it. Uh, We could do with some rain, I have to say. We but, had we had a little bit overnight actually, yeah, we, but we, it was only. I wouldn't, a, I wouldn't have said we even had a little bit. Um, I okay. mean, there was moist, a few moist spots on some leaves when I was leaving this morning. Oh, I had a little bit more than that no, during no, we, the night, but not a real downpour. No, no. So we could do with some rain, but I don't even stress out about that at this time of the year because the trees have hardened up. Yep. Things are sort of going into their recess, and they'll cope with a little bit of dryness at this time of the year. And um, so, you know, I'm prepared to sort of just enjoy the weather as it's going along. and But, a, you know, a nice drop of rain at some stage would be appreciated. Uh, I then don't have to water the veggie garden at least. Yes. So that would be good. But, no, it's been great. And uh, it's lovely to work in this weather, get out in the garden and do things. And it's the perfect time to catch up, get the weeding done, yeah. think about planting. It's, it's a real... Mm time for rejuvenating the garden. In fact, you mentioned planting, and that's another thing. I often get people who come in and they say, oh, you know, well, I'll wait till the winter when I can plant. And I say, well, why are you doing that? Yes. I mean, if you've got warm soil and you have got water available if you need it in case this warm, balmy weather goes on for quite a while, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't start doing a lot of your, uh, particularly your tree and shrub planting. Oh, yes. You know, it would be perfectly legit now Mm. because if you can water it reasonably well with the warm soil, the roots will move immediately Mm. and you'll actually have a developed root system there before we set into winter. So I would be perfectly happy and have already, in fact, myself, uh, because I do as I I preach, uh, I've already started doing some planting in the garden at home um, and I'm just making sure I give them a drink every few days and I'm convinced these new trees I've put in will settle in really well and Mm. they'll be gorgeous by next spring. And, in fact, they'll need less water next summer because their root system will be more developed than what they would if I put them in in midwinter. Yes. So, yeah, so now is a good time. And certainly I mentioned autumn colour. If you're going out to select trees for that particular asset in the garden, well, obviously it's a good idea to go out and sort of get an idea of what those trees are capable of doing. So you're better to do that whilst they're in autumn colour and not bare sticks in the middle of winter. Exactly, exactly. So go out and have a little look. I mean, I've got quite a few things starting to turn at the nursery. Quite a few of the maples are starting to go now. Um, Odd liquid ambers are starting to colour up. Um, I've got some Chinese pistachios starting to turn. So there's quite a few things just starting to go on the turn now. Mm. So it's a good good moment to get out there. 
and yep. and select trees. Yep, so, definitely. Yeah, so there you go. So there's a, a project for this weekend. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, Penny Woodward. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. Nice to be back again. And you're busy at the moment up uh, at a festival. <laughs> yes, I've been involved at the Herb and Chili Festival, which is um, I've been at for a few years now. It's uh, it's part of the Food and Wine Festival, so it's an interesting festival. Um, it, it's much, the emphasis is much more on the food than on the plants. So okay. It although um, obviously it's run at Clive Larkman's Nursery in in Wandon. Um, and they've got some, you know, great edible herbs and and chilies and things for sale. But mm. it's it's all about food. There's all these vendors selling these amazing sauces and spices and things like chili chocolate ice cream and right. and chili <laughs> chili beer. And um, yep. I'm there with the with the Australian Garlic Industry Association. So we're talking about garlic and and showing people different cultivars. And I'm doing a couple of talks each day. So um, well, I did two yesterday. I'm doing two more today. Um, it's a it's a wide and wonderful cast of characters who come to these festivals. So, <laughs> so we we had we had a nice group of superheroes yesterday, which was great fun to see them in their costumes. They turned well, up. And, to, and what to superhero drink. would miss a chili festival? Well, exactly, really? exactly. <laughs> They're all trying to outcompete so, who can eat the hottest yeah. chilli. Well, I did ask Penny before having... we came in whether anybody had ended up in in emergency or anything <laughs> from up there. Yes. Not to my knowledge, but they are doing cook-offs, and they mm. are people are eating hot. Chilies and there's a okay. bit of sort of challenging going on. Yes. Well, you know, if you eat that, I'll eat. And all dear. that sort of thing. So it's a it's a really nice vibe. And actually, today should be really good because if they've had any rain at all, that should have um, settled a bit of the dust because it was a bit dusty yesterday. But it's it's great fun. It, but it's very different if you're used to the more sedate. Um, sort of plant fairs and yes. that sort of thing. Um, you, this isn't that. You, this is not that, no, but it's, but it's great. And, and we've got um, one of the other people on our stand who's the chairman of the Garlic Industry Association. He didn't actually have garlic to sell, but he's brought along his mountain pepper. And ah. he's, uh, he actually lives up in the Stresleckis in quite a remote position, and he harvests mountain pepper up there from the from the Tasmanian lanceolata. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, so that's really interesting, and you know, there's a lot of interest. That's I'm, a lovely I'm, shrub. I like mountain pepper as a yeah, shrub. It's a good garden but you plant. Need, mm. You need cold and shade yeah. for it to grow well, because I had it growing in my mm. garden. It was actually growing quite well. Um, until I moved a tree that was in front of it, and, oh, and it just, yeah, just died. Yeah, it would no, have baked. Was, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, um, and you, and they're dioecious, so you need to have a male and a female yeah, you, one. You've got to do the boy-girl thing. Yeah. They're yes. not always identified, so mm. it can be quite hard to grow, actually grow mm. it in your own Actually, I must, it's reminded me, I must do something about it. In Tasmania, there are some beautiful high alpine forms of mm. it that just make wee little tiny okay. shrubs about okay. you know, less than a yep. metre high. Yep. And I know a nursery down there that actually grows them and I've been meaning to get in touch with him and to see if I can not only obtain plants but actually get male and female known yep. forms yep. Uh, of these dwarf forms from Tasmania because yeah. they're gorgeous little shrubs. They yep. make wonderful tub specimens and especially if you could get uh, a male and female form so that you could be assured of the, of the, the berries. Get the berries. Um, uh, I think the little dwarf ones could be okay. rather I didn't good know there were dwarf ones. Uh, yeah, yeah look, they're beautiful. I've idea. seen them down there. Um, yeah. And as far as I know, they only grow in Tasmania, the dwarf forms of it. Yeah. And I don't think it's a different species. I just think it's a geographical form okay. uh, of ordinary... Uh, Tasmania, um, and uh, I can see quite good garden context mm. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, everybody's buying miniature fruit trees. Why not a miniature mountain pepper? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and anyhow, so I must. You've reminded me now. I must do some homework and see yeah. if I can't source some plants of them. The um, one of the things I love about the the pepper is that it has a real fruitiness to it. Mm. Uh, it's a you know really nice pepper to mm. use. So. Mm. Leon's out there with his pepper grinder and everyone who walks past, he's putting a little bit of pepper on their hand so that they can taste it. And Yeah, yeah it's great. It's nice. So there's a lot of different things happening, so it's fun. But I think even if you don't have a male and a female, you can leave, use the leaves. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I hadn't, yes, hadn't no, I'm pretty realized. sure you yeah, can use yeah, the leaves. Yeah, I think the foliage is usable as yes, well because it's okay. quite peppery to taste. It I've is quite peppery it. and yeah. I'm, I'm sure you can. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so there is a use for one anyway. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a great little native shrub. So, yeah. yeah, I've so. got one in a pot at home and mm. I just use the leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I haven't died yet. <laughs> no, you're still here, we can tell. Uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> so maybe I should just give the address. It's, yes, it's, sure. Oh, good idea. One, 125 Quail Road in Wandon. Quail as in Q-U-A-I-L? No, Q-U-A-L-E. Quail Road, Wandon. Uh, See, you were talking food a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Exactly. You'd think quail that way, wouldn't you? Yes, exactly. I did. And it's it's 10 to 5. Oh, okay. So, yeah. That's good because a lot of them tend to finish at about 4 or 4.30, so you've got that bit of extra time. Bit of extra time. Yeah, Yeah. good. And I'm sure Clive will be up there regaling people. Yes. Indeed. Okay. Um, I'm going to get to some of the community announcements. Now, you were talking about visiting the hills today, Stephen. Um, up at Cloud Hill today is the second day of their autumn festival. Ah, oh, fantastic. So um, they've got free garden tours. They've got uh, free 25-minute gardening workshops. They've got heirloom tomato tastings, um, passata-making demonstrations. There's little diggers activities, which is great for the kids, um, 11, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., and uh, they've got, uh, of course, yummy festival food and the big guitar music by Joe Brady. So a lot happening up at Cloud Hill today. Cloud Hill, of course, is at 89 Alinda Monbok Road in Alinda. Their phone number there is 97510584. Now, a couple of other things on today. I should also mention, I did mention that last weekend... um, the uh, program run by the um, uh, the uh, Australian Nursery uh, Association for Garden Relief uh, was on in in uh, many of the um, many of the uh, garden centres right around Australia. But Bulleen Art and Garden, um, in conjunction with that, have been running an autumn harvest festival, and they are running right through until today. Today's the last day, so uh, again, there's going to be uh, Lots of things happening down at their um, their garden centre, including um, workshops. So today at 10am, there's free gardening talk on Beautiful and Bountiful, which is ornamental produce gardening. Um, there's also going to be um, activities for the children and uh, they've got 20% to 50% off their entire produce range. So that's all last day today down at Bulleen Art and Garden Centre. Now, uh, the Murdoch family are generously opening um, Cruden Farm to the Friends of Baker IDI Heart and Diabetes Research Institute, and again, that's on today, 10 a.m. through to 3 p.m. They'll have chamber music, interesting plant and provender stalls, um, a fascinating glimpse into Dame Elizabeth's garden philosophy over eight decades from her friend Anne Latrail, and special garden tours with John Christie. 
Uh, so if you go down to Cruden Farm, if you've never visited down there, um, your entry fee will also be supporting um, the Friends of Baker IDI Heart and Diabetes Research Institute. Now, coming up uh, next Tuesday, 17th of March, uh, the Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a uh, walk with Andrew Smith, and this is an autumn walk in the garden with Andrew. Um, Andrew, of course, is the Burnley Gardens manager, and he's uh, going to be available to escort uh, friends and visitors around the Burnley Gardens. Now, it's a free event. Um, As I say, it's on Tuesday, 5 through till 6.30, but uh, you do need to book, and that number is 9035-6861, or you can email Andrew on a.smith at unimelb.edu.au. Now, also, uh, Friends of Burnley will be having a plant sale on Wednesday the 18th of March, which is next Wednesday, 12 o'clock through till 3 p.m., uh, they've got a range of native, exotic and produce plants. The location is outside the main building at the Burnley campus. Uh, there's paid parking on Yarra Boulevard. And if you go to their website, um, which is www.fobg.org.au, you can see the full plant list of what's available for that plant sale. Now, also next Wednesday... Um, uh, The uh, Australian Garden History Society have got a photographic project of Avenue of Honours. Now, um, it's talking about uh, Sarah Wood and her photographic project that she's doing. Uh, Six o'clock for a 6.30 lecture. It's being held in the Mueller Hall at the Herbarium, which, of course, is in Birdwood Avenue there. And uh, Sarah is a qualified photographer and horticulturist, and from a family where her paternal grandfather went to Gallipoli and returned to Melbourne. So she's grown up in a household where the First and Second World Wars were discussed. In 2008, she approached Heritage Victoria and they gave her a starting point for recording and documenting the avenues, which I think is great. She started with the five Heritage-listed avenues in Victoria. Then in November 2010... She had her first exhibition at the Shrine of Remembrance and since then she has exhibited at the National Trust of Victoria. So uh, this, as I say, would be a very interesting um, lecture. Uh, Cost, members $20, that's members of Australian Garden History Society, non-members $25, students $10. And um, you can, uh, if you want to make inquiries or phone bookings, you can phone Lisa Tuck on 0418 590 891 or you can email her at lisatuck1 at bigpond.com. That's lisatuck1 at bigpond.com for that one. Uh, let me see. Now, next Saturday coming up, um, Rushall Garden, which is the North Fitzroy Community Gardens Group, are having an open day. Uh, as I say, next Saturday, 1 o'clock through till 4 o'clock, there's going to be garden tours, plant and seedling sales, sausage sizzle, homegrown produce, homemade goodies, uh, garden-themed jumble and a raffle. Now, Rushall Garden is located in the Thomas Kidney Reserve on Rushall Crescent in North Fitzroy. Melway's map there is 30D11. It's behind the grassy knoll at the end of 
Neen Street, which is K-N-E-E-N. And the idea is to come and join the Rush All Garden celebration, learn about community gardening and the importance and joy that can be gained from growing and sharing fresh produce from the garden. Okay, uh, just a few more I should mention. Uh, Again, next Saturday and Sunday, uh, there's uh, a Rose Garden Open Day happening. Now, this is taking place uh, 10 o'clock till 4 o'clock both days, and it's at the Tibetan Buddhist Society's um, uh, garden there. Now, their address is, uh, let me see, um, 1425 Mickleham Road uh, in New Oak. Access is via Cooks Road. And it's 10 minutes from the Tullamarine Freeway. Melway's reference there is 285J8. Now, um, entry is uh, $5 or there's a family rate of $10, which includes parents and school-aged children or younger. There'll be Devonshire teas. There'll be temple and garden tours. Uh, there'll be uh, a brunch of soup and savoury scones. Um, there'll be talks about uh, organic, sustainable, water-wise gardening tips, um, free meditation sessions, uh, and all sorts of books and second-hand bookstall there. So uh, that's next weekend, 10 to 4, on both days out in Euroke. Now, just uh, a couple more I really should mention because there's two very, very interesting talks uh, coming up down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Now, the first one is going to be taking place on Saturday the 18th of April, so I'm giving you advance notice on these ones because you do need to book in advance. Now, this is an all-day workshop down at Cranbourne um, about the iconic eucalypt. So they're running a full um, workshop starting at 10, running through until about 4.30, covering all sorts of different topics about um, eucalypts. Now, uh, there's going to be some very uh, knowledgeable people there speaking. Firstly, Dr. Dean Nicole, who's creator of the famous Currency Creek Arboretum in southeastern South Australia and uh, one of world's leading eucalyptus experts, will be uh, talking about all sorts of aspects of eucalypts. And uh, Dean will also guide everybody in selecting eucalypts for home gardens The other speaker or main speaker is going to be Dr. Frank Udovici, who's Manager Plant Sciences and Biodiversity at the National Herbarium of Victoria at Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. And uh, Frank has been very much involved in solving some of the botanical quandaries. He'll be covering the evolution, fossil records, and also the relationship of the genera Angophora and uh, Corymbia. So uh, also the renowned landscape designer Paul Thompson will be taking part and talking about uh, eucalypts as design forms. So an excellent day for that one. As I say, the day will start at 9.30 and conclude about 4.30. It is a BYO lunch, although you can, um, when you arrive, you can um, order lunch um, from the from the cafe down there and they will have that ready for you by 12.30 when lunchtime uh, will take place. Cost for the day is $75. Bookings are absolutely essential and these bookings close at 10th of April, which is why I'm mentioning it now. So if you'd like more information or to get a booking form, you need to ring 8774 2483. So that's 8 
774-2483. Now, the other talk that's taking place uh, down there is on Sunday, the 22nd of March. I did mention this one last week. And this is a talk that will be starting at 2 p.m. Uh, and it's being... Uh, the, the speaker is Dr Nushka Rita from the Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne. And uh, she'll be giving a talk about the Royal Botanic Gardens' new partnership with the Australian Network for Plant Conservation and the establishment of the Orchid Conservation Centre for Rare and Threatened Orchids. So um, this is groundbreaking program. It's responsible for the propagation and reintroduction of some of southeastern Australia's most threatened orchids. So Anushka and her group have been perfecting very specialised propagation techniques for federally endangered orchids, enabling the successful propagation of around 30 federally listed orchids. So it would be fascinating talk to hear about some of these threatened orchids and what, um, what the team are attempting to do to reintroduce them. Now, as I mentioned, the talk is at 2pm on Sunday 22nd of March down at the auditorium at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne. And for further information on that one, um, including, uh, I should say, that entry to the talk is by donation. But if you'd like more information about the talk, again, that same phone number, 8774-2483. Now, Stephen, we've mentioned it, I know, but you've mm. got a very special happening in the garden coming up on the 22nd as well. Yes, we've got opera in the garden. Uh, the opera studio are bringing some of their uh, as- uh, aspiring young opera singers up. Uh, it's uh, 2 o'clock for 230 Um it's $35 a head. Um, the funds go back into the Opera Studio, which is a non-for-profit organisation that helps young opera singers get experience and learn and, and get to sing in front of audiences. Uh, there'll be a glass of wine and some canopies uh, as well. I think uh, that's fantastic and, for and $35. It should, it, it's going to be good value for it's $35. But people will need to book fairly soon. I think the bookings need to be finished by Friday so that we've, oh, okay. got, we've got a sense uh, of how many people we're organising wine and canopies for. Absolutely. Uh, and how many seats we've got to sit out in the orchard. Um uh, so, you know, you need to get online fairly soon and you've got the details of how to book because yes. I haven't. Although I might add, if you put in, we, we've been playing with our search engines, if you put in opera at Macedon, it, it, comes will, up. it will come up. Okay. Uh, so you can find it via that sort of route as well. But there is a proper There is a proper book. website to book online and that's www.trybooking.com forward slash capitals HBXM. I'll say that one again, www.trybooking, that's T-R-Y, trybooking, or one word, dot com, forward slash capitals HBXM. Or if you'd uh, like uh, to make some inquiries about it, um, 0474 536 375. Now, we should remind Mm. listeners that parking is in... Uh, Marshall Avenue. Yes, in Marshall Avenue, which is the street that sort of leads you into our street of Centenary Avenue because our street's very narrow and mm. there's really not many places you can leave a car without blocking the street. Uh, but there's plenty of parking out in Marshall Avenue and it's just a sort of a 50-metre walk in. Um, and if we get 
weather that's anything like we've had for the last few days, it'll be a fabulous afternoon. So I'm really looking forward to it. It should be good fun. So the actual address is 8 Centenary Avenue in Macedon. Yep. And you simply head start to head up the road that heads up to Mount Macedon, and, yep. and it's not far along the no, road. it's fairly easy to find. In fact, what I say to people is if you come off the Calder Freeway at the Mount Macedon-Macedon exit, you go round the roundabout and go straight ahead up Mount Macedon Road. So you go towards Mount Macedon. Once you go under the railway line, just start ca- counting streets on your left-hand side and Marshall Avenue's the third on your left-hand side. Easy. So, uh, it's, and it's several kilometres up the road. They're quite far apart, each of the roads, but it's the third on the left. Yep. And so it's not too hard to find. Um, we'll put some sort of signage out on Mount Macedon Road for that day to help people find us, but um, uh, it should be good fun. And uh, I've heard some of the um, singers with the opera studio sing before. We've been to a couple of their events, uh, and they're amazing young singers, so it, it should be really good. Excellent. So I'm looking forward to it. Good. So it's next Sunday. Woo-hoo. Yes, next Sunday. Yes, getting Gosh. all look. You're getting all organised. Yes, absolutely. Now, there's only one more that I, I should mention now, and that is that, again, down at Cranbourne, but this time it's in March. It's on 28th and 29th of March. They're having their autumn plant sale of Australian plants. Uh, times are 10 till 4 on both days. Uh, they'll have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots available, priced from $3.00. And uh, people can purchase the plants and then have a look around the Australian garden. So I will remind listeners of that one next week. Mm. Uh, it's high time we invited listeners to join us. If you would like to ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. That number is nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one. Double five. Stephen, do you want to make a start on a couple of the plants you brought well, in? Well, I've only bought a couple in today, but anyhow, um, I but thought. But they're they were, both spectacular. Yeah, and I thought they were both things that we can chat about a little bit if we want to, and we can sort of, you know, sort of go into a bit of depth, which is always nice Good. about a plant. And we might start with this one, uh, which I might add, I've already sold to Penny, so she's taking it home <laughs> with her. Um, and she took one look, and that was it. Yeah, she's blaming me for actually doing this on purpose, but, you know, what can I say? Um, it's a ginkgo. Now, most people are aware of ginkgos, and they know that ginkgo biloba is a very ancient tree. A lot of people know that they're sort of related to conifers, so they go right back to the age of the dinosaurs and earlier. Um, and it's a genus that um, obviously way back when had lots of species and was a major tree around the world because you find ginkgo foliage in, in coal deposits and things all around the world. Uh, and so, of course, it was like the Woolamai pine in one sense, that it was sort of known from fossil remains, people knew it had existed, but it assumed that the genus or the group had gone extinct. Mm. And then back before the turn of the last century, somebody found ginkgo growing in in China. Uh, And it was only comparatively recently they think they've actually found wild ginkgo because it was, in fact, seen by the Chinese as a sacred tree, so it was planted. So there were lots of planted trees of ginkgo around. So It was known as the grandfather tree. So a grandfather would plant it for his grandson or granddaughter because they're very slow growing. And I just think that's a lovely... Concept. So yeah, it is. I, I think that was probably why it kept getting. Yeah, planted. and and you would find the best trees in temple gardens and things mm. like that. So some of the, the the best known ginkgo specimens out there uh, are sort of sacred trees in in temple grounds, and so it's a really interesting historically important tree and I guess it was the Woolamai pine of its time Yes, Uh, it's just Mm. that people didn't have quite the same sort of PR machinery that they've got these days Uh, so in a sense you could be seen to be reintroducing a native Mm. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, ginkgos yeah. used to grow in Australia a long, long, long way okay. back. Um, but what is interesting about ginkgo, and, and one assumes that the same thing will happen with Wollamai Pines, uh, uh, same thing that happened with Dawn Redwood when that was discovered in 1945, uh, is that once it's in cultivation and they keep growing it and regrowing it and they raise it from seed, then you start getting a little bit of genetic variation pops in. Okay. So people think that you know there's a ginkgo, and in a sense there is a species, but there's quite a number of clones that have arisen since it was introduced into Western horticulture. Um, and... I think there's something like 20 or 30 registered clones now wow. of different forms. Mm. Okay. So there are variegated leafed forms of ginkgo. There are weeping forms. There mm. are horizontal forms. Mm. Uh, there are miniature forms. Um, there are pencil forms. You can actually buy a, a very, very narrow poplar-like form. Uh, and, in fact, there's several selection of poplar-like forms now. So initially it was just fastigiata, but now there's Princeton, Sentry, and quite a few other extra narrow selections that have been made. So there's a whole range of different forms. And the one I bought in this morning is one of my favourites, actually. It's the most bizarre plant. Uh, it's one called Saratoga. So it's Ginkgo biloba Saratoga. And it's a comparatively upright, slow-growing form, but not pencil uh, but it'll make sort of a broadly upright conical form, I guess. But its big claim to fame is its bizarre leaves because the leaves have got really long lobes on them. And so it comes out these sort of... I don't even know how to describe it no. exactly. It's the strangest leaf. You've got it sort of splits down the centre, so it goes out into two main sort of sections, and the split goes almost right up to the top, so they're almost separate leaflets. Except I noticed the lower leaves yeah, some, aren't split nearly as much. Yeah, some of much. the bottom bits, and I'm not quite sure why it does that either, but you've got these really sort of long, droopy leaves that sort of come down in sort of two bits, um, and it's really quite remarkable. But it's also the edges of the yeah. leaves, because the edges, yes. after they've split... Look as if an in, almost as an, if insect an insect nibbling, chewing yes. at it, but it's it's <laughs> yeah, repeated it's sort of from leaf to leaf, all... and it's. I, I just think it's extraordinary. It I is. It's it. a remarkable-looking plant. Yeah. So uh, so even those who are quite familiar with ginkgo will look at this twice before they realise what they're looking at because yeah. uh, mm. it's not quite like the normal form. And, of course, in the autumn, I mean, ginkgo is one of the autumnal glories when it turns. I mean, it goes the most beautiful yellow. Uh, just butter, the, butter yeah, yellow. Really, yes, really yeah. clear butter yellow. I remember yeah. there's a, a lovely, just classical ginkgo growing in the gardens up at the Albury Botanic Gardens, mm. and I happened to be there one morning when it was one of these beautiful beautiful, calm autumn mornings. The ginkgo had turned bright yellow. It had dropped enough leaves that it had made a silhouette Mm. of itself on the ground, but there hadn't been any wind, so none of the leaves had blown away. And the sun was coming in from behind, Mm. and I stood in front of this tree and I thought, where's my camera? (laughs) (laughs) It was just the most exquisite sight to see this golden yellow tree with this this sort of light coming through it and this silhouette of leaves on the ground. Just beautiful. And I might add, if people do want to see a really good ginkgo and they don't want to travel quite as far as Albury, of course, the Geelong Botanic Gardens has got a a National Trust classified Mm. specimen down there, uh, which is just remarkable. It's got aerial root formations Mm. on it, which ginkgos will develop with age. Uh, It's a wonderful old tree, but I think it is a girl uh, because I think it does fruit, which is a bit unfortunate because the the fruit smells. Uh, I mean, the seed is edible, which is fine, but the fruit itself as it's starting to sort of decompose on the outside stinks. And so... I wouldn't recommend a female ginkgo in a garden. And that's the other thing about buying a grafted known clone. 
you can buy them and know what sex they're going to be. If you buy a seedling ginkgo, in a few years' time, it will turn out to be male or female, and there's no real real way of telling. Uh, Although the Japanese, I remember reading an article somewhere not that long ago where the Japanese reckon they could sex a ginkgo from the seed. Okay. Okay. They could work out which seed was going to turn into Mm. a boy or a girl. I don't Mm. know whether that was true or not or whether it went anywhere. Uh, But certainly by grafting, you know that you're going to end up with a plant of a known sex. Yep. So Saratoga is a male form, so it won't produce the smelly fruit. Uh, and you can buy just classical sort of ginkgos that have been grafted but a male form so that you know you're getting a, a boy one. Yep. I mean, there was a clone that was a known female with extra large fruit for those who actually wanted the fruit, but I haven't seen it round the traps for a mm. while. Um, but it had extra big fruit. Well, apparently. they're an important medicinal Oh, yes, too. yes. So, yes, if I can only remember what they use them for. Oh, very good, Stephen. <laughs> yes, it's a memory-helping um, yes. thing, Germany, apparently. In Germany, it's one of the biggest-selling um, herbal medicines in capsule form. Okay. Extraordinary yeah. number of people. Who and I wonder whether they, again, whether memory. they use the foliage or whether they use it's the, the fruit. Berries. It is it's the fruit. It is the fruit. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and yes. that's probably why, you know, yeah. some people want it. Yeah. Well, fruit. I certainly know you can eat the kernels. I mean, the yeah. Chinese use them. I think they. I think in Chinese they call them something like golden almonds or golden apricots or golden something mm. or another's, uh, I think the Chinese name for them translates as. So, yes, the, the nut, I guess you call it a nut that's yeah. inside, um, uh, is quite edible, mm. but you've got to get rid of all that smelly pulp to start with, which yes. is a bit of a downside, I reckon. Um, but I think they're fabulous little trees, and we certainly have known male forms that are grafted. Uh, you can certainly buy the pencil forms of ginkgo here if you're a bit space limited and you want something that isn't going to take up much room. This Saratoga is a nice, small, slow-growing sort of conical form, so it could be worthwhile growing. And they survive forever in a pot. Oh, yeah. yeah they don't care oh, how root-bound they get after yeah. a while. They're, yeah. they're wonderful. I had, I had one for years in a pot that when my kids were little, they just called it the stick. The stick. <laughs> Mum, are you bringing the stick with you? <laughs> when we were That's not a very romantic way of... Um, Describing well, it, was, it. I mean, it spent. They does spend a fair bit of time without leaves right well, through that, winter, so they true. just saw it. And I, I, you know, they'd say, you know, why have you still got this stick? Well, it's going to produce leaves. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they've grown the beyond stick. that now. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think ginkgos are one of those plants that we should revisit again. I mean, they are slowish growing, so they're not mm-hmm. a tree that you would plant assuming you're going to sling a hammock from it or use it as shade quickly. Um, but if we're not planting these things, um, they're not going to be there for the next generations and the generations after to exactly. enjoy. So I always see gardening as a journey, not a destination. And and it's the fun of watching things. It's Mm. not – you're never going to see the final potential of anything you plant in a garden when it comes to trees and things like that. Mm. So you are planting potentially for the future. And ginkgos are surprisingly drought-tolerant once they're established. They're heat-tolerant. They're being used as street trees in some of the world's Mm. most polluted cities because they'll cope with pollution remarkably well. Uh, And being deciduous, the pollutants get onto the leaves and then the leaves drag them down to the ground again when they drop off. Um, And so you go to some of – and some really difficult climates, you know, places where they have icy cold winters and hot dry summers and and they're using ginkgos as as, as street trees mm. um, in fact i saw them used a couple of times when i was in new zealand as street trees over there as well so they've they've picked them up as street trees there and there's one or two streets around melbourne that have got ginkgos as street trees so um and there's one of those country towns up in the northeast where they've alternated ginkgos and and ornamental pears and i'm not sure whether it's miller okay. or it's one of those little towns that are on the snow road going yes, through right. and they're still quite young but um uh, they've got 
Ginkgo's alternated with, I think, one of the ornamental pears. Wow. Uh, which should look pretty spectacular mm, yes, when, when they get up be. to a decent yeah. size. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we should be looking at them again and reassessing them as a garden plant. And, yes, they are a sort of a conifer which is makes them all the more interesting because they don't look anything like nothing like like the other plants in that sort of coniferous group of plants. Yes. So I think the ginkgos are a, a remarkable plant and very ornamental. Oh yes. Beautiful trees. So yep. yeah, so think about ginkgos and, and realize that there are more than just a ginkgo to mm. select from. Mm. So there you go. So ginkgo biloba saratoga is the one I brought down this morning. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, I must remind listeners that number if you'd like to join us this morning, nine four one nine zero one double five. Not only do we have Stephen Ryan in the studio, we also have Penny Woodward, so we can talk about just about anything. We'll so, cover the lot. <laughs> yep, do give us a call, the number nine four one nine zero one double five. I'm going to totally change the topic. Um, Penny, because you brought in the most amazing. Yeah, now that we, can... that is just ridiculous. <laughs> Won't is... you get arrested for steroidal use or something? Uh, yeah, no, not me because I didn't actually grow this one. But um, <laughs> it, it's an elephant garlic, so we've got. It looks it like up. an elephant foot. It's so yes. big. Yeah, it's huge. So how wide is? I'm not good at measuring. Well, it fills your whole palm. It, it does. It does yeah, completely. Yeah, and I can't get the. You know, my fingers only just start going up the side. Yeah. And my fingers are quite long, so it's pretty big. It's made up of five giant cloves uh, as I said it's an elephant garlic and it's what it causes a lot of confusion in the garlic world because it's not true garlic mm. um, it this, doesn't taste like true garlic no, either, does no, it? no. It, it's more closely related to a leek mm. so it's it's uh, you need to think leeks when you're thinking mm. about cooking it raw it, it it has sort of a mild sort of slightly I think it's a slightly muddy flavor yeah. but cooked it is beautiful it's sweet and leek-like with garlic overtones and delicious. And they're so, large enough that they roast beautifully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and they're not too fiddly. No, no true. <laughs> true. For those of us who don't like to fuss. Yes. <laughs> so it's yeah, it has lots of culinary uses, but you just need to think of it not as garlic. Yes. You don't. And look, when you grow it, it grows with a really tall flower stem and a big flower on the top. Mm, like it's very a, showy. A, like very attractive, yeah. And the beneficial insects adore it. So mm. if you've got some mm. in the garden, it's a it's a real homing space for all the good things that you want in your garden. So, uh, look, I love it as a plant, but um, it's not garlic. No. So right. that's what people need to understand. And and it's grown a lot, particularly in um, in Queensland and mm. and in the Northern Territory because. They can't grow true true garlic. Well, they do have the wrong seasonal so, things going on up yeah, there. Yeah, you don't. They don't get the day length. You mm. need day length for mm. for most for all garlics, for all Allium sativum. So, um, and the Allium sativum does not cope with the humidity. Mm. So in in southern Queensland, they get true garlic in early and they harvest it early, and it needs to be a day length neutral form yeah. cultivar of garlic. But this is one that can be grown in Queensland. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that, uh, well, it's not all unfortunate, but there's some organic growers who are growing beautiful elephant garlic, but it's then marketed as Australian garlic. And um, so people who go and buy it think, oh, well, Australian garlic's tasteless. Yeah, because it's um, a completely yes, different is, vegetable, which, really. It's to- yes. Yeah, so yeah. that which is sad. So it's you know part of what we're trying to do as an industry is sort of get out there and explain to people all these differences between It's a shame that the common name is what causes the confusion. Yeah, well, really. but it looks so like garlic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you or True. you look at it and you think, you know, this is a giant garlic yeah. um, because it forms the cloves. Yeah. Uh, so in this form, it looks like garlic. So it that's does. why it's called elephant or Russian mm. garlic. Um, 
but it isn't. But it has its uses, and and it's it's actually a really good plant for the sort of the uh, survival garden mm. because it will survive anything. Yes, uh, it's a bit like the ginkgo. You yeah. know, it will put up with drought. It'll put up with oh, yeah. and through those really tough drought years, it, it at certain times of the year it was one of the few things that had edible green leaves in mm. my garden. So you can eat the leaves, you can chop them into salads and you know, you can fry them, you can do all sorts of things with them. So as well as being able to eat the tubes. Mm. So it's a good plant to have in the mm. garden. When I was living in Tassie, um there was a, a, a empty vacant block mm. next door and and the elephant garlics were there. Yeah. They were there yeah. every year, yeah. you know. You often see them in the Western District on house sites where, say, the house is burnt oh, down. Oh, yeah. Mm. And you've just got the chimney and then you'll have the elephant garlic <laughs> growing next to it. You know, yeah, so it is a plant with, with persistence. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. But it is. It's a great plant in the garden. I love it as a cut flower. I mean, yeah. I don't often eat it, actually. I've got it in the yeah. garden at home and it just sort of sits there. Um, but I do love it for the, for the flowers mm. and they're great for cutting and... I might add, I don't remember ever sort of gone, oh, it smells no, of garlic. When no, you pick no, them and you put them in no, the house. No, it doesn't have the overpower. No, so there's no real smell to it. So you no. can pick them and feel quite confident that you're not going to overpower your living room yeah. with yes. them. Yeah. Uh, and they last and last and last, yeah. the flowers. Yeah, so they're really good value. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. So it's a good plant. This one actually was grown in Tasmania and, and it looks as if we do have some slightly different cultivars of elephant oh, garlic. That's so. But we, it's something that we haven't even attempted to sort out yet. <laughs> <laughs> there do seem to be some that naturally grow bigger than mm. others. Okay. So, um, although it can be a lot to do with how they're grown. But now, if I remember rightly too, they clove the year they're flowering, but then when you plant a clove, they, doesn't the they, next season? Not necessarily. It depends how big uh-huh. the clove is that you plant. Oh, so, so sometimes they go on this, this two-yearly cycle. Yeah, because some where, of mine seem to be like that. Where they'll produce a round. Yeah, so they're um, like an onion for one year. Yeah, yes. and then they'll produce um, a, the, all, a cloves. And quite a few of them also produce bo- little tiny little bulbs mm. around the bottom too, and they can also be planted. So, But there is a bit of variation, so it depends which one, oh, yeah. which one you're growing as to what happens. Okay. Mm. Mm, excellent. All right, that number again, 94190155. We're running through until 9.15, so we'd love to hear from you. That number, 94190155. Yes, wake up, everybody. Stephen, let's go on to the other plant you've brought in. Yes. Now, this is a very overtly variegated maple. Um I always feel if you're going to have something variegated in the garden, it might as well at least be splashy. I mean, there's mm. no point to a subtle variegation, I don't think. Um, That's not subtle. No, it's not subtle. No, and this is a comparatively new maple. Um, we're not quite sure of its actual species. We think it's probably a hybrid, uh, but it is in the snakebark maple group. And it's being marketed as Acer-esque flamingo, E-S-K. Uh, it was discovered by Peter Cave in New Zealand uh, as a seedling in his garden. And it's a remarkable maple because it does weird stuff all year round. Uh, if you start in the early spring, its first leaves come out almost green. In fact, you think, oh, it's reverting back yep, to green again. Yep. But as the season goes on, the variegation becomes more and more pronounced further down the stems. So the newer growth gets particularly variegated and it's splashy pink and white, uh, basically. The stems of the new growth are also pink. So you've got these bright pink stems with this pink and white variegated foliage. And as the stems age and goes back sort of a a year or more older, um, the stems turn green with sort of white stripiness, hence snakebark maples. And so that's what the group is is called. Uh, It has a pendulous habit. 
So you've actually got to stake it up to get a bit of height in it to start with. And I had two of these in concrete pots in our back garden for some years. And the only reason they're not still there is the fact that they they were still growing perfectly well in the pot. So it seems to not mind being a bit root bound. But they were actually getting disbalanced size-wise with the container they were in. They were starting to look a bit silly because uh, the pot was far too small for these humongous yep. big maples that were in them. But they were still growing and flourishing. So they came out. One went up to the nursery and got sold. The other one got planted out into the garden at home. And it's now about... I suppose, three and a half metres tall. Um, And it's got this wonderful sort of archy, hangy habit. Mm. And when I had them in the tubs, they were outside the kitchen window and you'd look out on them and they caught your eye every day. And I always figure if you're going to have something in a pot, the only reason to have it there is it's supposed to be a feature. Mm. And so it needs to be something that does, in fact, intrigue you in one way or another. And because this has such a change throughout the spring to autumn in foliage, it would catch your eye because it was changing regularly. And then when all its leaves shed, and it could often colour quite nicely in the autumn before the leaves did shed, so you had that next sort of thing, which was also a mottled autumn colour because yes. of the variegation. Yes. But when it's bare in the winter, you had these green and white stripy trunks with all these weeping pink stems. And it was actually, if anything, more beautiful in the winter mm. uh, when it had no foliage on it than mm. it was the rest of the year. So all year round, it was paying its way. And mm. so, and it's turned out to be a comparatively hardy maple. It's certainly very quick growing. I mean, this plant in the pot has grown, what, nearly a metre in mm. a season? Yep. Because uh, it, it's come from way down near the bottom here where it's just above its graft, and that's all one season's growth to the top up there. So it's got the best part of a metre of growth mm. only in its second season. Mm. I was finding at least metre each year on mine okay. uh, in, in, a, in the concrete pot I had them in. Yep. And I have to say at home I'm also not terribly good at looking after things in containers. Uh, I mean, at the nursery I spend all blasted days standing there with a hose watering <laughs> pots, but when I get home I tend not to. And so things tend to get a bit neglected. Uh, and yet these things were going along with aplomb. Uh, I've sold them to clients in low-lying areas. I've got a client in Sunbury, actually, that bought my other one that came out of the big pot at, uh, at the nursery. It went through last summer, and those one or two really hot days we got, it got a couple of little burns on the leaves, and the client who bought it reckons it gets the sun most of the day. Okay. So it's far tougher than it looks. Yep. And uh, so it could be a maple for somebody looking for a feature plant. Yes. Uh, it certainly is one of those plants that's going to knock your eyes out, so you don't want to sort of – it needs to be placed where you're going to use it to – draw the eye exactly so the opposite direction to which the washing lines in or something like that so that it <laughs> takes people's eyes over that way um, so it's not for the timid gardener but certainly if you're looking for really interesting large shrub small tree sort of plant uh, that you get you know sort of interest from all year round s flamingo could be worthwhile it's growing. It's beautiful, Stephen. I, so often um, variegated trees, you're Can tossing bit, up whether yes. it's actually sick or whether yeah. it's variegated. Yes. Oh, this is just there in is your face. No, there yeah. is no chance that that's a sick no, tree. No, and, you can see it's it is, vigorous, it's, it's healthy. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's a remarkable plant. But even the colouring doesn't make mm. it look sick. No. That sometimes no. the yellow you know, makes it yeah. look as if In fact, I like the silvery colours yeah. in leaves better than yellow yeah. variegations because yeah. you're right, yellow variegations yeah. can be really difficult. And because the green is still quite defined and still a rich healthy looking green yeah. uh, the the variation between the colors actually works really well yeah, no, so um I think even those who are not perhaps variegation sort of aficionados might at least sort of see the potential yeah. of a plant like this, particularly as a large tub specimen. I think it, it, yeah. it, oh, yes. it will make this wonderful weeping fountain of, mm. of growth and mm. um, and it will prune if needs be. Uh, you could shape it. I could see it grown as a standard. I could see it used in lots of different ways. Mm. Um, certainly it would look fantastic grown on a 
slight angle out over a fish pond or something mm. like that where its branches could then weep down over the water. Yes. Uh, I think it could be stunning sort of yeah. as a pretend dwarf weeping willow or something. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's got great potential. So Esque Flamingo, there are a couple of other cultivars out there that are somewhat similar. There's one called Summer Snow, which has far less pink but a lot more white. Uh, there's one called Summer Surprise, which tends to be very green until midsummer and then suddenly variegates, and it's more upright and vase shape, but still gets the pink stems. So there's a few different clones out there. So uh, it's well worth looking out for if you want a really interesting little tree. Mm, fantastic. And we've got some calls that have come we in. We have got some calls, so we need to get to them. First one up is uh, Maria out in Mount Waverley. Good morning, Maria. Good morning. Yes, I would like to um, know about coffee grounds. I'm able to get quite a bit of coffee grounds. How am I going to use them in the garden? Um, uh, coffee grounds are great in the garden. Worms yeah. love them. Um, I, we all they our, get a caffeine hit. Well, <laughs> all, our, all my coffee grounds go into into my worm farm. So and, you use them that they, way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I just I, we don't create vast amounts in our mm. household. I mean, we're both coffee drinkers, but nonetheless, when you've only got two people in the household, yes. um, but ours just go into the compost with everything else. Yes. Yeah. Well, mine used to, yeah. but I was I wanted to get more food into the worms, and oh, they yeah. and they do love them. the The only thing you've got to watch is that they tend to be acidic. So, if you've already got acid soil and you're putting coffee around something, um, you will make it more acid. So. Mm. And you don't want to put it around plants that need alkaline soil. But apart from that, um, uh, coffee grounds are fantastic. I mean, if you've got them in enough quantity, they can actually be used as a mulch. Yeah. You know, oh, it, right. it works quite well as a mulch. And I think it's somewhat slug and snail it, repellent. Well, it, is. it, is. Yeah. it will it is. actually keep slugs and snails yeah. away. Uh, and it looks nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it smells good. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I just go to a place where they sell, um, well, it's like a milk bar, actually. Mm. Yep. And they have lots of coffee grounds there. They make coffee. Yeah. Right. So I get a big bag full. Oh, well, good for you. Use it. it it's yeah. a good product, and I don't think it can do any real harm unless you're using it in truckloads. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and and just keep it away mm. from your alkaline. Yeah, you probably wouldn't put it around your bearded irises or yeah. something like that because yeah. they like a little bit of liminess. But it certainly wouldn't do your azaleas and rhododendrons any harm. No, and ah, and yeah. don't put it in your ground where you're going to plant your garlic. Oh, yes, and garlic likes a little bit of liminess too, too. Yeah, so so there you go. So it's a great product to use, and and I hate to think of it going into landfill. Yes, yeah. And the other one about molasses. I've got a bucket of molasses, so how am I going to use molasses? Um, Molasses is uh, diluted is quite a good spray to keep cabbage Mm. um, moths from eating your brassicas. Ah. And it makes them sweeter, maybe? No, it's written, nobody seems to be quite sure about yeah. how it works, but it seems to um, mess up the caterpillars when they're mm. eating the leaves with the with the molasses on it. Um, it can help to feed your soil as well, mm. so you. Yeah, could I've heard just people say that it, it, uh, you use it as a soil conditioner yeah, of some sort. Water or it into the water it into the soil. So you just more or less um, dilute it with a bit of warm water because it's yeah. quite thick. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, well, you wouldn't be able to sort of pour it on easily yeah, no. unless you diluted and you, look, it in some any way. Time, anything you're adding to the soil, you don't want to put it on in great concentration. So mm. you're always better if you're not sure diluting it. Mm. or and, and putting some into your compost as well wouldn't do any harm. Yes, well, yeah. So if I would plant out uh, new vegetables now, would I, could I water them in with um, diluted molasses? I think I would put the diluted molasses into the soil first. 
Because you do, you do, because molasses is slightly sweet, um, mm. I would just be a little bit hesitant about putting it on young, really young seedlings because you may be attracting ants or something yeah. else that wants to feed on yeah. the yeah, slightly Yes, so it could be an attractant for, for yeah. certain yeah. creatures. So I'd be putting it in the soil, although, as I said, I have used it on brassicas, um, but they've, they've been bigger They've been brassicas. established, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Not seedlings. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Yes, and anything organic. I mean, anything yeah. organic in moderation has yeah. got to be putting something, something in. back in. Yep. Exactly. Know, so, yeah, so I don't waste anything much. The only thing I've given up trying to deal with are, uh, are oyster shells. Okay. Because they keep coming up in the garden everywhere. <laughs> so if we have if we have oysters in shells, they go in the bin. That's not I, going to break down. No, easily. no, they take too <laughs> long you, to break can't down. Can't you crush them and oh, feed God. them to your chicks? Oh, well, you, yeah, you but could, you can but buy <laughs> you can buy sort of already crushed shell up grit shell grit for the chooks. <laughs> so um, yeah, I did think of that, but uh, it's too much hard work. Mm. And we don't eat oysters at home all that often. It's just a little treat occasionally. Yep. But, yeah, they, those shells go in the bin, but pretty well everything else goes back yep. into the garden. Yep. Yeah, me too. Waste nothing. Yep. Okay, we're going to Alex, who's in Malvern. Good morning, Alex. Uh, good morning to you. I wonder whether uh, the panel can help me with uh, my Daphne plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, uh, I'll tell you a bit about history. Uh, look, about eight years ago, my partner bought it and in a pot and planted it in Malvern. It was all right for a few years, and then it was looking poorly. So uh, she offered it to me, and I've moved it to Malvern, and... It's grown there quite well for a few years, uh, and now it's looking poorly again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just wondering what to do. Should I give it to someone else so they can have a go at it? It's, it's had this history. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say it's looking poorly, is it just going sort of yellowish or? Uh, yes, yellow and droopy. Yeah. Look, it's, it's either one of two things. Mm. It's either had too much moisture at some stage and it's got root rot or it's got Daphne virus. Right. And Daphne virus is something you can't cure, uh, and you can keep the Daphne ticking over sometimes by keeping it well fed and well cared for, but at some stage or another, Daphne virus will eventually knock it out. Um, if it, of course, got too wet at some stage and it's got root rot under it, well, it'll depend on how much root rot it had as to whether it will re- refurbish itself. But Daphne's are one of those things that when they're on the decline, they normally just keep going. So you were lucky to actually bring it back again last time. Uh, I don't think moving it on to somebody else is necessarily going to give it another chance. No. Uh, the only thing I can think to do with it at this sort of stage is perhaps give it one of the seaweed emulsions, something like that, just to see if you can't... Stimulate sti- some more root yeah, growth. Yeah, stimulate some root growth on it. Yeah. I mean, if it's been in... Uh, I assume it's in the ground again. Uh, yes, that's right. It's been in... It's spent its life in the ground five years at one place and now three years. At yeah. The well, if it's in the ground, um, I would just leave it alone. Uh, if it's done all right for three or four years, well, then it may come good again if you just give it some of the seaweed. But uh, you also need to be prepared for the potential loss of the Daphne if it's Daphne virus. And I would say that if you do decide to plant another Daphne, try not to plant it in a close proximity to where that one's been because I believe the Daphne virus can hang around for a while. Okay. Thank you very All much. Right, sorry, I can't be more sort of positive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, bye. Thanks again. Mm. Bye-bye. Yes, those old Daphnes, I don't oh, know. Oh, yes. They're, they're the bane of some people's lives, and other people will have a 35-year-old Daphne they've know. never touched, never done anything to, and the <laughs> yep. damn thing flowers its head exactly, off. Exactly, exactly. You know, so you either have luck with them or you don't sometimes. Yep. They're that sort of plant. Okay, we're going next to Anne in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, panel. 
Uh, I've got a young lilac tree. It's been in the ground for about three months. It's about a metre high. But over the last three or four weeks, the leaves, some of the leaves have gone brown and leaf cool, so I sprayed it with white oil. Have I done the right thing? Well, you haven't done the wrong thing in a sense, but it probably had nothing to do with anything that the white oil might have fixed one way or the other. So the white oil probably won't have done white any harm. White oil won't help leaf curl. It, yeah, but it won't help any sort of leaf curl issue. Uh, I might add lilacs will be going dormant now anyway, uh, so they'll shed all their leaves shortly anyway. Uh, I just think if it's only been in the ground three months, it's still it's still sort of in transplant shock. Yep. Oh, right. So, so what should I do? Well, nothing much. I would just perhaps it's, again... It's going to drop all those leaves yeah, anyway. Yeah, so. it's going to get rid of all its leaves, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. Perhaps give it some sea, seaweed emulsion, something like that, just to give its roots a bit of a stimulation. But lilacs in general are pretty tough plants once they get going. Oh, heavens, yes. But, you know, so they're not a hard shrub to grow. Um, and they'll generally shuck off most of these issues mm. once they've been in the ground a while. But, you know, a three-month-in-the-ground tree like that, I mean, we've had a, a benign summer, but we've had one or two stinking hot days in the midst of it all. Um, we've had a lot of humidity uh, and lilacs don't really like humidity particularly because they come from a, a climate where they get distinctly Mediterranean sort of climate with warm dry summers and mm. cold winters. Um, they actually enjoy frost and things which is of course something that we don't don't offer them in Melbourne much anymore uh, but they should still grow quite well but I just think give it time. And right. so, Stephen, it'll lose its leaves. It'll sit there looking like a stick until yeah, spring. right through till spring. When it will start budding and you'll have flowers and, and leaves. Well, hopefully flowers, re- but certainly... Reappearing yeah, again. Yeah, but fresh yeah. leaves yeah. next yeah. season. I never worry too much about foliage getting distorted or nasty towards the end of the growing season on anything deciduous. No, exactly. Because it's going to shuck them all off shortly. So uh, Another thing is I need to dig... Um, I need about a dozen holes dug for different plants and my soil's very hard, sort of semi-clay and if I put gypsum on it, it would take months to soften it. So is there such a thing as a small hole-digging machine that I could hire from the council or Bunnings or somewhere just to dig small holes for small fruit trees? Well, a post-hole digger is obviously the way to go if you're going to dig a hole, but where you get one of those from, I'm not sure, and they're probably too big for you to deal with. And the, one of the problems with post-hole yeah. diggers is that they're designed to dig holes for posts, yeah, not, and so, not yeah. really holes trees, for yeah. trees, and you tend to end up with quite hard... Compacted yeah. soil. Yeah, you've got to break up the edges as and well. You've, so mm. you've then got to get in and break that up anyway. Otherwise, you'll just create a dam mm. that the roots won't be able to if get If I were you and you were having trouble with something like that, I would see if I could find a strong young man. Exactly. Or woman. Oh, woman. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. I was being sexist there. That was inappropriate. I just immediately think muscles and, you know, yeah, strong well, young yeah, men. Yeah, but no, no. Yeah. Women are capable. Yeah, of course they are. I'd, uh, I'd be talking to some of my neighbours and seeing if any of them have a gardener who calls in from time to time yeah. because it's a one-off or job. Or a nephew or a niece yeah, who yeah, might be able to help you. It's a one-off you. job, I agree. Yeah, for a one-off thing like that, I, I would just get somebody in who's just got the muscle to deal with it. Uh, if it's for half a dozen trees... It, it shouldn't be too hard to deal with. I mean, councils do, in fact, have uh, people who go around and help people in their gardens that can't yeah. cope with their gardens anymore, too. Or if you've still mm. got a local nursery, ask your local nursery. Yeah, they, they may have, they have, have someone, someone who would come out and dig the holes. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, it will probably cost you no more, even if you've got to pay somebody, than it would to hire machinery that you've got to then deal with oh, yourself. Exactly. Yep. And you've got to understand how it works. I mean, some of these things, it's all very well to think, oh, yes, I'll borrow a post hole mm. digger, but unless you know how to use one, um, you could end up in more trouble 
people than you started with. Uh, it's like these people who are weekend chainsaw users. Mm. Uh, they worry me no end that, you know, they don't really understand the equipment they're using. Mm. And, I mean, I've been using chainsaws since I was a kid and, and I sort of understand what I'm using and I'm very careful with it uh, not that I've done actual training with my chainsaw but you know I learnt with other people who knew what mm. they were doing um, and anything that's equipment wise you've got to sort of understand how it works I mean you could spend an hour trying to even get it started right and last but not least um, I want to plant a couple of small to medium sized birch trees is there such a thing well, there are smaller birch trees as in comparatively to other birch trees. Uh, I mean, I don't see any birch as being a vastly big tree. I think when you start talking big trees, you're talking oaks and elms and other things. Mm-hmm. Birches in general tend to be smaller. But I would say that a lot of birches are becoming less and less popular as as our climate changes because they're very water hungry and a lot of people are losing birches when we get those really dry seasons. Mm-hmm. And certainly during the period of 12 or 13 years or whatever it was that we went through of serious drought birches died everywhere right. and so they're not a tree that i recommend to people unless they're in the cool sort of hill sort of gardens places where those sort of trees can still grow well um i think i'd be looking outside the square at a small tree that is perhaps not a birch uh why did you specifically want a birch do you oh, think? i just thought that silver birch looked pretty but it doesn't have to be what yeah. would you recommend oh look if you wanted a nice small tree that had good bark it won't be white, but good bark, uh, and did other stuff. One of my favourite small trees is the Chinese quince. Uh, it grows to about four metres. Uh, it has bark like a crepe myrtle, so you get this wonderful patchy sort of peeling bark in browns and greens and fawns and things. It gets pink blossom in the spring, gets huge big yellow quinces on it that you can actually use for cooking, um, and its foliage goes bright red, orange and yellow in the autumn before it sheds. All right. So it does everything. Could, and it's, can you plant that near your house? Oh, yeah. Well, it's only uh, root systems of trees are proportionate to the size of the tree in general. Right. So if it's only a four-metre tree, it's going to have a small root system under it. If it's a 10-metre tree, it's going to have a bigger root system under it. Right. Uh, and certainly not many trees will cause issues for houses, even comparatively close, as long as the house was built properly in the first place. Right. So I generally oh. blame the house, not the tree. <laughs> Okay, then. Thank you very much for your help. That's okay. a pleasure. Thanks, right, bye-bye. Yes, I think birches, as pretty as they are, mm. I think they have some limited value in suburban Melbourne gardens now. Well, so many people lost them oh. a couple of years ago when we had that really hot yeah, you know, it's, summer. I mean, you, you've got to remember most of them come from you know really cold, damp climates all through up you know, through Scandinavia, Scandinavia yeah. all across into the Himalayas, yeah. uh, northern nor- northern parts of North America and Canada. Yep. I mean, they want the cold climates. They want lots of water. That's right. Um, they they do in fact like a fairly rich sort of humusy soil uh so if you've got heavy clays or sandy soils they don't really enjoy it all that much mm. uh there are better alternatives mm. out there there are trees that will do far better so i think we have to think laterally i agree mm. okay we've got a couple of queries from the outside line firstly melanie has different grafted walnut trees from 8 to 14 years old she's just picked a few of them from all the different varieties and they are black and shrunken inside any ideas 
not really. No. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd be thinking some disease. Yeah. I, I have to say, I'd, but I don't know enough about. No, I don't know to that be able much to about say them. what it is. But... And look, it could even be growing conditions as well. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we don't know exactly what sort of soils Melanie's working with, but I know walnuts do like a good deep soil, and if the soil's mm. not suitable, then you could have some issues with them. Uh, and so they may have been the wrong choice of tree for the soil and climate yeah, that they're in. Yeah, but she's got a whole lot of different ones from yes, yeah. different varieties. Yeah, yeah, but they're still walnuts, and that's yeah. my issue. It may yeah. just not be good walnut country. Uh, I mean, walnuts, again, do far better in the deep soils if you take them mm. up the northeast and areas and, like well, that. Well, I guess it depends whether last year the walnuts yeah. were okay or not. Yeah. So, you know, have you, has she had good walnuts off them in, off yeah. It in the past? So yeah, in which case that would then suggest which way to go with that. Yeah. But it's a little hard to know from the outside line. Melanie, if you want some more advice, it might be a good idea to bring us and actually talk to us on air. Um, but uh, I don't see myself as an expert on walnuts. No, it's I'm not a tree I'm I've not. done a lot with. Uh, you need a bit of space for walnuts. Yes, yeah. yes, they're not a tree for the tiny suburban garden, yeah, really. And, and look, I guess the other thing might be lack of water. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, with the with a lot of shrinking. But you'd think that if you've got all these grafted walnuts, you'd keep the water up to them. But no, you know. Yeah, well, know. we sort of don't it's know what Melanie's some, been up in with. In some areas, mm. you know, there's there's been very little water, and if and whereas other areas, there's been too much. Yeah. So it depends where she is. Okay, just just um, I've quickly uh, jumped to Paul Baxter's um, book uh, for his advice. Uh, now he says that bacterial blight mm. um, is a bacterium causing black spotting of the leaves, husks, and nuts, often causing the kernel to blacken and wither. Yeah. Um, it's the worst disease of walnuts worldwide, and it's difficult to control. The bacterial spores spread in rainy weather. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, treatment must be preventative to be fully effective and consists of three to five copper sprays, either as Bordeaux or copper hydroxide, applied during the flowering and nut setting period. Leaf fall sprays are also advisable and the spray must reach all parts of the tree, which could which be difficult. Which is great when you've got a 60-foot yes, walnut. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that sounds to me, as, as that's so widespread as mm. a problem mm. with walnuts, it sounds to me like that's probably the problem. That would put me right off growing walnuts. Yes. I mean, when you think about it, the spraying of the trees, and I'm assuming these trees are quite small still because they're not that old. They're not that old, yeah. Um, uh, is possible, but is, if the spore problem is there... Most of these fungal issues you can control with sprays, but they'll always come back again. And the trouble is by planting more than one, by having several there, it's just going yeah. to spread through the you, whole yeah, lot. Yeah, you've created a you've monoculture. You've created a monoculture, so you've increased your problem. Yeah. So that doesn't sound good, and it sounds like a lot of hard work to have to spray you know, several yep. times during that yeah, flowering but period. But it's tricky because she's obviously put a lot of work yeah. into them when they're grafted walnuts and all that sort yeah, of Yeah, well, they're not cheap to I, even buy apart yeah, from anything else. I, no, I exactly. Mean, where would she go to get... To find out definitely whether that was what it was or not, because you know nurseries aren't going to want her to bring the yeah, and and they may the, not know either the, um, the walnuts in to show them. Mm. Um, is there? Do we still have an agriculture department that can advise about those sort of things? No? I have no idea. But it's well, obviously the would be the logical place if there or, is some or, sort of advisory or maybe body. A, maybe a pathologist, mm. although that will cost money. But I mean, if you've got a lot of money invested into walnut trees, mm. then you you need to find out definitely what it is. I mean, yeah. uh, talking to us on radio, is, yes, exactly. Is, we're not looking at it. Yeah, we... is not re- probably. I mean, it's a good starting point, but it's mm. yep. yeah. So maybe she needs to um, sort of try and get in touch with a pathologist and pay the money to. Find out what it actually Well, even is. if the ag department doesn't, in fact, have an advisory service that she can use, mm. they must know 
where you could, could go. go. Yeah. So that yeah. would be my first port of call would mm. be to contact the ag department and say, look, I've got this issue. Who do I go to next? Okay. Um, we've well, just Jan's talk- just, yeah. just put up for us that there is a Walnut Industry Association. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that's another possibility. Uh, www.walnut.net.au. Well, that seems simple enough. You could at least yep. get in touch with least, them. At least, yes. And they'll well, know. They will. will know. Yes. Yeah, okay, so, so, so that would be idea. a good way to go. All right, the other query that came from the outside line is that a listener has asked if you can grow fennel from its bulb by replanting them. Can you eat the sprouts that grow from the seeds? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> Just the simple answer to that. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, Although it depends a little which fennel you're talking about. If you're talking about the green fennel that grows wild all over the place or the bronze fennel, then you can dig those up and yeah, replant, them. replant them. The Florence fennel is slightly different, but usually you can, if you want to, you can, you can replant those too. And yes, seed, the seedlings are mm. great, and they're a really nice digestive. So mm. that you know, if you're putting, if you you know ever get upset tummies or a bit of wind, that sort of thing, having the little seedlings in a salad mix is a is a really nice way of mm. taking your medicine and mm. eating it too. So. Well, the other thing is that the Florence fennel will form little pups around yeah. the outside of, yeah. of the actual bulb. Mm. So if you don't harvest the whole bulb, mm. like if you chop out the top of it and leave it in the ground, then you can get... you've got your pups coming up. You've got your yep. pups coming up. So yep. you can actually mm. have successive um, mm. fennel bulbs mm. to the use. Only, the thing you do need to be careful, though, is if you're digging it up from the wild somewhere, is that they are a noxious weed in a oh, lot yes. of areas. So you don't want to... Got, start spreading them into another area that doesn't already have them. Yeah. So, yep. um, yes, as pretty as fennel looks in the garden, yeah. you do need to take serious control of yeah, it. Exactly. I, although I find that bronze fennel, it doesn't self-sow in anything like the way that... The, does in the my garden, does Penny, okay. yes. Right. If I let it go to seed, I will regret it for years. Okay. So uh, I go around the garden and as soon as the flowers are out on my yep. bronze fennels, they all get cut to the ground. Yep. Um, and then that goes in the compost because it hasn't got to seeding yeah. form yet, so okay. I can just throw it in the compost. Um, but, yes, a couple of times I've let it go to seed and I have regretted it. It's come up all through the gravel driveway. Oh, okay. uh, oh, I don't, I don't find, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I don't find that in my garden at yeah. all. I'll get two or three yeah. coming up and that's it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. No, in my garden it's a nightmare if I let it go to seed. So mm. as much as I love the bronze fennel for its look and, yeah. I, and I still will use it in cooking and things, um, uh, I'm very assiduous about cutting it down now because... Mm. I learnt my lesson. Mm-hmm. Now, Stephen, we should alert the listeners about a special happening that's oh, in yes. the Botanic Gardens at the moment in mm. Melbourne. Yes, yes. The giant Titan lily. Exactly. For those who don't know, is in flower. Um, uh, and now this is the second time yeah, in which is recent weird. times. Yeah, well, it was only two, before two Christmas years uh, two, years two years ago, ago wasn't yeah. it, that it was in yes, flower. exactly. Um, which is unusual because they don't normally flower quite so quickly after one's flowered. So unless it's a different bulb. It's a or, different It's a different. Mm, one. Yeah. Oh, well, that's all right. It's because I was plant. thinking, uh, I would be surprised. Uh, well, it was surprising me to think that the same one might have been in flower two years later. No, 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 no. It's a mm. different plant. Because remember, because we were actually lucky enough to actually see the bud of it. Oh, that's right. Um, yes. And yeah. remember, we walked past the old one. Yeah. Which um, had been dying off, and it was actually all one leaf, even though it looked like a, a series of cascading leaves. Yes. As it was dying off. Yeah. The foliage on the Titan lily is just. A, about as impressive as the flower, actually. It's really amazing. When you see a really big one, I remember seeing them in Kew Botanic Gardens and they weren't in flower, they are just in leaf. And they had them in the biggest black plastic bags I think I'd ever seen, mm. uh, these things growing in their greenhouse. And, and the, the leaf stem was like a trunk and I reckon it was sort of three or four metres high. And the canopy of the individual leaf, because each bulb just produces one giant leaf, um, 
was was bigger than your average sort of uh, umbrella outside yes. a coffee shop. It was just this huge, big thing. Um, so that was impressive enough as it is. But, yes, the Titan Lily is actually in flower at the moment. It should be out for another day or so. Yep. Um, it flowered yesterday, so everyone's been waiting to see when it would fully open. Yeah. Um, it did but it open. doesn't stay in flower long. No. So you really would need to go to the gardens today or tomorrow, mm. I think, to have a good chance of seeing it in its in its and glory. It's in the greenhouse, isn't it? Yes, it's yes, in the greenhouse. It's in the greenhouse. Yeah. So you go through E-Gate and... Walk up. And walk up and you'll see it. You'll see the sort of greenhouse down into you sort of right a little bit if you want. Or the other thing you can do is hop on one of the garden explorers. Oh, yes, and they'll take Because they've got to stop virtually outside the greenhouse. So mm. you just ask them to tell you when you get to the greenhouse and let you off. Yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. an that's easy way idea. of getting but there. But you do have to pay to go on the Garden Explorer. It's not a free. It's not free, but yeah. it's a wonderful way of oh, looking at the garden it's anyway. But yeah. I just didn't want someone to turn no, no. up and think that they could just They can just, pop yeah. On yeah, it. yeah. No, okay. Fair. Yeah, so yeah, so the Titan Lily's in bloom, and that's one of the world's amazing plants. So uh, definitely worth seeing. Amorphophallus titanium. Yes. Um, and I won't explain what amorphophallus means unless you can work it out for yourself with your childhood Latin. <laughs> <laughs> but there will be an associated smell now that it's. Fully in oh flower. yes, they stink. That's yes, they also call them a quartz lily. Um, uh, they're fly pollinated, so they're trying mm, to attract exactly blowflies to pollinate the flowers. So they are pretending to be dead meat, basically. So, so do the botanical garden staff allow blowflies in to pollinate these plants? I, or I would they, imagine that the blowflies would sneak in anyway. Do they do it with sort of paint brushes and uh, stuff like that? Moving because I, I know they do actually interact. With the plants to get yes. others pollinated, so mm. I'm not, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that. well, I would have thought all those visitors coming and going, the blowies will sneak in. Yes, I mean the smell <laughs> yeah. is going to attract them. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I reckon the blowies readily. will be there whether they're hand pollinating their Titan lilies <laughs> or not. Uh, but it is one of the world's most bizarre and amazing plants, and so you've got an opportunity to see one in the Melbourne Botanic Garden. Absolutely, in bloom. Uh, it is definitely worth it. I mean, uh, as some of you are aware, I'm a Twitterer, uh, and certainly Tim Entwistle and a few of the others have been tweeting madly with pictures going up on mm. on Twitter uh, of the Titan Lily, and you know Tim standing next to one, and the head gardener that's grown it standing next to it, and you know, so they're all getting their their. Well, I can't. You can't really call it a selfie, can you? But, you know, no. they're, they're all getting their pictures with the Titan Lily. Yep. Um, and that's been going up on Twitter, so I've been watching it the last couple of days. But it's fantastic that it's in flower on a weekend. Yeah. It gives people an opportunity mm. to actually go in there today and have a look but at it. But you're going to have to be prepared to queue as well. Yes, I would imagine. Because last time it flowered, oh, the queues were a mile queues. long. Yeah, 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 it was a bit the of a staff nightmare. Were yeah, bring the newspaper right. with you yes. so that you can be doing something else <laughs> while you're waiting in the queue. Assuming that it, it turns out like that, they haven't actually been been as overt with their advertising this They've time. They've been quiet about it, actually, yeah. and I think that's so that, um, yes, yeah, we so didn't get this great long everyone waiting to yeah. rush in at the so same time. So maybe you won't have vast queues this mm. time. And, I mean, a lot of people who saw it last time may not necessarily go in Need this time. Need to see another one, yeah. So, yeah, so this one's probably for those of you who didn't see one last time. Yes, if you mm. missed out, now's your opportunity. Yeah. And who knows when we'll see another one in flower at the Bot Garden. Mm. So. Well, exactly. Mm. Yep, so, so, okay. Yeah, so in you go. Yep, all right. Let's go next to Gary, who's in Whittlesea. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, panel. I've got a problem with my uh, day. Is uh, something like uh, mildew or something on the leaves. Is there any cure for that? No, but it's getting late into... Well, you can. You can spray. I mean, you can spray for anything, but cure is the wrong word. 
uh, for a start. Uh, you can have a control <laughs> over some of these things, uh, but you won't cure them. They'll, they will keep coming back again. Um, but even with dahlias, this late in the season, I would be saying, all right, well, they're getting towards the end. I mean, they can still keep going for quite a while until we get some frosts, but I wouldn't be worrying too much. If I'm still getting plenty of flowers, uh, I'd just be enjoying the flowers, picking them and using them in the house and not worrying too much about the mildew. I mean, my pumpkins are getting mildewed. My mm. zucchinis are getting mildewed. Yep. Everything is getting mildewy because this is the time of the year when it sort of happens. And it's starting a bit earlier this year yeah. because yeah. it was just a bit moister and a well, bit well, yeah, it's well, the humidity so the that's autumn brought foliage. it on. I mean, yep, I'm, yep. I'm, we've had things turning autumn foliage since about mid-February, mm. which is very early. So, yeah, so it's all part of that seasonal change that's setting in. So I wouldn't be worrying about it particularly. Uh, it's not going to have a long-term effect on your dahlias. But, I mean, you could spray it with a fungicide or something to try and control it. But uh, at this time of the year, I don't think I'd be bothering. Okay. And also, the flowers tend to flop over as though they're... The the flower heads are too heavy or something, or is that some weakness in the plant? Could be a weakness in the plant because there's a lot of dahlias that have been bred for the show bench and not for the garden, uh, and so they don't worry about you know the the strength and and stability of the plant in the garden so much if they're breeding them for the show bench. Um, and certainly some of the big heavy doubles are actually too too heavy for their stems. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you only need the slightest puff of air and they'll all crack and snap and drop over and, and all that sort of thing. So I don't think it's a disease problem. I think it may be an inherent weakness within some of your dahlia cultivars. Okay. Now, getting back to the mildew, I notice when I've grown peas sometimes in the garden, like vegetables, yeah. they seem to – you get one pick – one picking and then they all seem to go to mildew. Is that generally consistent with peas? No, you should get more than the picking. Yeah, look, yes. I, I have a bit of that sort of problem in my garden mm. and I know that that's because I don't have enough air movement in the garden. Yeah. I've got too many plants. I can't resist planting things mm. and right around the boundaries I've got biggish trees so there's a bit of shade and um, that's if you've, if you've got a very full garden, that's the sort of thing that happens so um you shouldn't be it shouldn't be happening after only one crop mm. but i have a lot of trouble growing peas as well and i'm mm. sure that that's yeah it's all that's part the of reason mm. why right. you but look the one thing that you can try if you're um someone who likes to try doing something is to use a milk spray on those and you're not going to do anything any harm but it might slow down um the mildew yeah. a bit and it, you just use any milk um nine parts water to one part milk all right thanks for that Okay. Thank you. Bye. And I don't think it works with soy milk. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had a bit of mildew on my silver beet. I've never had that before. Yeah, yeah. it's but been again, one of those seasons. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I don't worry too much about those things. I no. think, you know, they come and go. And, yes, exactly. And it's all part of the rich tapestry of I, gardening. Um, the one thing that I did have trouble with last year was I got rust on my garlic in autumn, ah. which oh. you shouldn't get um, mm. in autumn, but that was because of the weird warm conditions mm. with the with the humidity. Um, so this year I'm planting my garlic a bit later to try and miss that oh, period. Yeah. I'm not going to put it in till May, till the end of May. Um, that's just my garden. I just want to try. So other people, though, would be planting when? You might as well oh, mention any, that. Any time from now. Yeah. From now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I actually the, started the, early, the other day. The early garlics mm. can go in now. Um, I'd be waiting with your creoles yeah. until April. Um, but turbans can go in now. Um, some of the soft necks can go in between now well, I've noticed in the garden where I've missed bits of garlic. Yeah, there's, there's actually a lot of quite a lot Yeah, some Still of it's already. It doesn't mean that that's the best time yeah. for it. Mm. But um, yeah, so any time from now until beginning of June. Yeah. Okay. 
Excellent. Um, and Pam, can I just mention about Mifkas? Yes. Oh, yes, of course. That's the other thing yeah. that's happening. There's a lot going <laughs> We've on. We've got the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show coming up at the end of March. Um, I can't remember the exact dates, but it's the 25th last... 25th is the first day. Yeah. which is the Wednesday, and it goes all the way through to the Sunday. I'm going to be there every day on the Organic Gardener stand. So Organic ABC's Organic Gardener magazine has got to stand there again. So come along and, and have a chat to us. Um, Stephen Payne, who's the editor, will be there for the first two days. So you can come and, you can come and talk to him. Um, later on... Um, oh, God, I'm going to forget her name. The lovely chook lady who writes for Organic Gardener magazine, she's going to be there as well for the last three days with, with chooks. Oh, fantastic. So oh, great. So that'll be fun. Um, and I'm also giving a talk each day at 2 o'clock on the diggers stand and they're doing a huge edible garden this mm. year. Yes, Something they like are. four times the size of, of um, what their usual display oh, is. Fantastic. And they're having talks and all sorts of mm. things happening. So they're having the tomato taste test on Wednesday. Are. I've been asked oh. to get involved with that. Yeah, so yes. I'm getting my so. taste buds ready. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, at 2 o'clock, I'm talking about garlic for half an hour on each day. So if you're interested in finding out a bit more, you can... Come and listen to that. So, yeah, it's going to be a very full-on five days. But it's great fun. Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show is a real icon. Events for gardeners in in Victoria and um, lots of things to see and do. Absolutely. And we'll all be there in one way or another. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm only going to be there on the Wednesday. Yes, so am I this year. I put my hand up for the tree and shrub growers stand. So I'll be there, I think, for a couple of hours from 11 in the morning. So I'll be sort of answering people's questions and things there. I'm not mm. even quite sure where their stand is yet. I'd better find out yeah, at some it's stage. It's in the usual spot. It's in the usual always, spot yeah, because uh, they've, they've had like, that big corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah so area. I shouldn't have too much trouble finding it. No, them. you'll find um, it easily. And, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, for the media, there's oodles of things going on. Oh, we're, heavens, there's a lot We've got a, a busy day year. on Wednesday. We have. It's you know. just one thing after the next, yes. Yeah, yeah, so right through until our dinner night. That's you right. Know, so, yes, we'll all get together and have a lovely time in, in the evening <laughs> as well, all of us horticultural media operatives. Um, so, yes, I look forward to it each year just for the fun of getting yep. in there and meeting all the growers and catching up with friends yeah, and, and, and it's wonderful. You know, but for the public as well, it's really mm. good just to go along and talk to all the people on the stands. You know, mm. there's a wealth of information. Oh, there. yes. There, yeah. You know, so many people who know so much about so many different mm. things. So if you've got issues or problems about things, you know, come along and talk to us. Just wear comfortable shoes and be oh, prepared yes. to be there for several hours. No. You, you can't whiz in and no. whiz out again. No. No. And particularly when, the, when it's really busy because you just can't move quickly from any spot. No, any you spot. can't. <laughs> yes, you, you sort of get trapped and locked in corners and all sorts. <laughs> Yes. Of things. Uh, and, of course, there's all that floral display inside, which is always... Yeah, which is lovely. You know, real eye candy for gardeners. Yeah, my recommendation like... to people is always to get there at 10 o'clock mm. because you get a chance to sort of have a look at things before it gets really busy. Yes, if, and, so... and if you're wanting to take photos. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Okay, which is a perfect segue, um, before we go to our next corner, Stephen, to quickly mention to listeners and also mm. to um, to growers and, and other oh, people yes. in the horticultural industry that there is going to be a new gardening festival for Melbourne. Yes, and a spring one. A spring one. So mm. it, it is has nothing to do with Mifkus. It doesn't clash in any way. In fact, it's going to be run very differently from, mm. from Mifkus. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fantastic. It's, it's the Horticultural and Gardening Expo, it's called.
called. Uh, they do have a website up and running, so you can go in and find out information about it. I would certainly recommend to anybody who is a small grower that this could be a, a great place for them to go. Uh, it's going to be far cheaper to have a stand at than Mifcus, and I have no objection to what they charge at Mifcus, but uh, it doesn't allow for some of the smaller growers to be able to afford to be there. Uh, so this event's going to have workshops, talks, uh, all sorts of things will be going on throughout the three days of it. It will go sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so it's a three-day event. Um, I'll be down there as an MC, and I'll also have a presence there with my nursery because I can sort of afford to go there. Um, and I'm hoping that there'll be lots of small boutique nurseries there. I know several of my friends who've got uh, interesting nurseries, like a friend who's got a bamboo nursery in Riddles Creek is going to be there. Uh, a friend of mine that grows uh, bare-rooted um, ornamental trees, uh, he's going to be down there, and he's never done anything like this before. Uh, so there'll be lots of new people mm. that you'll be able to meet and 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 learn from. Uh, they've got Costa coming from Gardening Australia. He's going to be there. Uh, Angus is going to be there. So Angus Stewart will be there. So anybody who wants to know anything you ever wanted to know about native plants, I'm sure Angus will be yeah. good for that. And Attila Capitani. Attila so, will be there, so being as succulent, succulent as usual. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it's at the showground. And at the showground. So there's good public transport to get yep. out to the showgrounds. There's good car parking facilities out there. Uh, there'll be indoor and outdoor exhibits and displays. There'll be some landscape gardens. I know a friend of mine, Stephen Reed, who's part of the Landscape Institute, is organising some gardens and things yep. that will be there. Um, so it'll have a lot of the things that you would see at Mifcus, but it will be spring-oriented. Um, so it'll be at a time of the year when a lot of these things will be naturally in bloom. So there'll be no forced tulips, probably. They'll actually be in bloom. Um, and um, I'm hoping that it's going to be a big second event for, for Melbourne. Um, we're such thing, gardeners. The other thing they're, they're actually trying to do with this festival is to tie a lot of the plants to food. Yes, there will be so a very food-oriented thing. So there's a real emphasis on, on, mm. on food and mm. edible plants, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, they will have cooking demonstrations and all that. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I tend to get sort of carried on with, with, the, plant with, side. with the plant <laughs> side of things and I keep forgetting. Uh, but, yes, there will be a, a big emphasis on food and, and how to use plants in, in cooking and all that sort of thing. So there will be cooking demonstrations and people there who know about how to grow food, plants and all that sort of thing. Mm. So there will be lots of opportunities for people to learn and, and gain experience from. Um, and I just think we're, you know, we're a big enough city that we can have two major gardening events in a year oh, quite definitely. easily. One in autumn, one in spring. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, it, it just suits. Great fun. I mean, for a few years there, we had a garden festival out at Caulfield. Yes. Uh, and that, you know, it worked very well uh, for the short time it kept going. And I don't really know the ins and outs of why it's not still there. Uh, well, to but, be quite honest, I think getting to the Melbourne showgrounds is going to be a lot easier than getting to Caulfield. Yeah, Caulfield's a little bit It's awkward. a little bit isolated. Yeah, yeah. 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 I uh, guess unless you live down in Caulfield. But in which case, it's right in your back yeah. doorstep. But, um, <laughs> but no, the showgrounds should be good. I mean, it's got all the facilities there. All the public transport goes mm. out to the showgrounds. Yeah, you've got a train line. Yes. You've got trams. You've got buses. You've got everything will take you there. Uh, and uh, so you can now go into the website, um, learn a lot more about it. Uh, I'd certainly recommend anybody who's a small-time grower to go in and have a look at it because I think it could be something that they could all get involved with. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be good fun. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I'll be there with bells on, probably other things as well, but there you go. We should mention the website, since oh, yes, we've mentioned a it a couple of times, www.gardeningfestival, all one word, 
Gardeningfestival.com.au. That's pretty so easy. easy. Yeah. Gardeningfestival.com.au. Yeah. And there's a link to it via my website as well. They went in and did some fancy stuff on my website for me too, so that people can go in through that as well if they want to. So there you go. Okay. Oh, and speaking of which, uh, I should just mention in passing too, and I haven't mentioned it for a few weeks now, but there is still a little bit of space on my Madagascan tour. Ah. If people are interested to go to Madagascar in 2016, we do need people to book fairly soon. Uh, it's in um, tw- 23 days in towards the end of October uh, next year. Um, but also you can go into my website. You'll see in the calendars of events there is a, a link. You can go in and you can look at the full itinerary. You can see all the costings. Everything's there. Some lovely pictures of boabs and lemurs and chameleons and oh. all that sort of stuff. Um, all the magic of Madagascar. Oh, it is just so oh. wonderful. So if anybody's interested, please go in and have a look. Um, you can do it via the Australian Studying Abroad website, but you can also go in via mine and, and use the links. Uh, we would love to see a couple more people get involved and book, but we are nearly booked up. Uh, so if anybody's seriously interested, they need to move reasonably quickly. Honestly, you'll see plants and animals like you've never seen anywhere it, and you'll never see anywhere else no, either. No, Just and it's incredible. a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Oh, it is. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, apart from the fact it's been a while since I've been back to Madagascar, um, so I'm looking forward to going back. But the tour we've got running this time round has is it shows all of the highlights that we've always been to see, but it's also got but you've some got new added things. Ones. Yeah, I've got new things. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm going to. Um, there's a reserve called uh, Kaindi, which has got some of the most fabulous boabs. Um, Penny's taking her garlic and she's leaving us. <laughs> she is. She has to make her way up to I the to garlic to and the, chili festival. Herb and chili festival. All right. Festival. Well, have a lovely day up there, and I hope oh, lots well. of our listeners will be up there to uh, <laughs> uh, have a chat to you about growing their garlic and things. Maybe in their Superman outfits would be good. Thank you very much. <laughs> and <bye listeners. laughs> Thanks, Penny. Uh, yeah. So anyhow, so, so anybody can or is thinking about it, I wouldn't leave their run too late. No. Uh, they need to get onto it straight away if they if they do want to go to Madagascar. And you book through ASA too. In studying is, abroad, yes. Um, yeah, so book through them, uh, and uh, I would love to have you come along. Uh, and as I said, we're nearly booked out, and we've uh, we've got a. I think we're going to have a very interesting tour too, because I know quite a few of the people who are going, uh, and it should be a really interesting mix of people. Great. So I think it should blend quite nicely. So, I think you're finally getting to the big avenue of Baobabs, yes, aren't we you? Are. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yes, we're going to see that. Uh, there's there's lots of things we're going to oh, see. So, so much. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. So don't forget it's on, and I suppose we should get back to it because we've got. We a couple need to of get callers. to a couple of callers exactly. So yeah. we'll get next to uh, Gwen, who's in Mount Waverley. Good morning. Gwen, and thanks for waiting. Hi, thank you. Look, I've got an orchid uh, question. Yeah. It's in flower at the moment. It was a gift, and uh, it, I can't pronounce it, but I'll spell it. <laughs> P-H-A-L-A-E-N-O-P-S-I-S. Yes, a phalaenopsis. Okay. <laughs> yeah. what, what I really want to know is when it finished flowering, because it's on very long stems, Yeah. two long stems, do I cut them off? Well, no, actually, I wouldn't. If you look down along those long stems, you will find that there are little nody bits, yes, little lumpy bits. Yes. Cut back to one of those because okay. that can then send out another flower spike from that point. Okay. So, yeah, so go back behind so where the flowers are. So look very carefully because mm. you don't want to be cutting off those secondary flowers. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. So just go back behind the flowers and you will see a funny little sort of scaly sort of bracty sort of thing down the stem if you cut just on the outside of that on the flowering side of that uh that will then quite often send out another flowering spike oh good 
Okay. So, so that's what you need to do with that, Gwen. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye. And uh, next up we have uh, Francis, who's in Northcote. Good morning, Francis. Francis, Hello. yes. How are you? Well, thank you. Now, I just want to let you know and all the folks know that today is the day, <clears throat> do pardon me, of the annual Honey and Beekeeping Festival. Right. Which is held uh, yearly out at 35 Duncan's Lane in Digger's Rest. Which yes. sounds like it's the other side of the world, but it's actually only just near the airport. Yeah, I've got to go past there to get home. There you go. <laughs> You'll see me out on the road with my thumb out. Oh, yeah, all right, fine. Yeah, that sounds fine, Francis. <laughs> I yeah. thought you were going to say in a bee costume. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That too, that yeah. too. But uh, anyway, I uh, went to this festival two years ago and I'm now a very proud beekeeper. Oh, you got I'm, hooked. <laughs> got hooked completely. It's such a buzz. Oh, dear. Uh, well, well done. Somebody had to do it. Yeah. But all my neighbours are now telling me that their veggie gardens, their fruit trees, and, uh, you know, everything they have growing that needs pollinating is pollinating more strongly. Yes. I would be sending them out invoices if I That's was you, Francis. Idea. <laughs> That's a good idea. I do send out to them um, or hand over to them lovely jars of honey because it's the upside of the pollinators. They oh, yes. do produce all this magnificent food mm-hmm. to go with uh, the various vegetable recipes that require a little tiny bit of honey. So yeah. I'd recommend the... Beekeeping and Honey Festival. It's at 35 Duncan's Lane, Diggers Rest. What and times, Francis? It's from 10 o'clock in the morning yep. through to 4 in the afternoon. Right. And it's on only today? It's on only today, and it's really a uh, quick and simple drive out there. It's off the Calder Highway. You take the turn for the Organ Pipes National Park. Ah, Yes. And that will get you along to Duncan's Lane. And uh, there's a website. Good. So Excellent. Which is? J, J Beekeeping School. Right. .org. .au. Mm-hmm. J, just the letter. Yep. Beekeeping, or one word, J Beekeeping School. Mm-hmm. .org. Mm-hmm. .au. Now tell me, Francis, are you going to have a cutaway hive there again? There's going to be uh, a completely glass hive. Wonderful, because it's great for the children to see a hive at work. So magnificent to watch them doing it. Yes. It's an astounding thing this little portion of nature does. Yes. And it's so crucial, so crucial to life on Earth. Mm, Totally. Totally. So if anyone at all is thinking about um, maybe keeping a a beehive in their garden, they would get so much information out there today. Totally so much info and all of the uh, various accoutrements. Yes, yes. Yeah, so you, you, you can get um, uh, Yves Saint Laurent beekeeping outfits out there, I guess. All of that. <laughs> that's imaginable. Wonderful. Will be available for sale. There'll be extracting demonstrations. There'll also be the rather interesting demonstration of the bee beard. Oh, is somebody going to wear a beard? You're doing it again. Somebody is going to wear a beard. Oh, they're brave. That that, that puts shivers down my spine just thinking about it, but there you go. The concept of put shivers down my spine, but when you actually know that uh, there are one or two aspects of it that keep the bees very docile, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nonetheless, I think it's, you know, 
It's right. putting your hand in the alligator pond as far as I'm concerned, but there that's you go. True. Yeah, no, I, I always remember the sketch in as a child in the Cole's Funny Picture Book. I... <laughs> we have of, of a man with this bee beard and I just it's... can't get my head around actually seeing no, one live. <laughs> it is really a startling uh, image. But anyway, it's more about the beekeeping. Yes. We know how crucial the bees are. Oh, so to crucial. The local environment, the Absolutely. global environment. Yep. Indeed. Yep. Fantastic. Well, thank you for alerting us to it, Francis. No problem. And I do keep us in the loop each year because uh, it's one of those things that can slide past us yep. if we don't have somebody yep. like yourself getting in touch. For preference, Indeed. ring us Ring us the week before so that people have got notice sure. to put it in their diary and get mm. up there. Yeah, that'd be good, Very actually. Very good idea, actually. Mm. That's a superb idea. All right, okay. so hopefully we'll hear from you the week before next year. <laughs> it's in my diary for the week before next year. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well done. I like people who are organised. <laughs> Good yeah. on you. Okay, all the very best. Okay, right. bye. bye. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yes. Now, yes. I know you've toyed with the idea of a oh, beehive yeah. I keep, in your garden. I keep You're thinking still... about it, yeah. Yes. Uh, and look, I'd love to have one, but it, it, for me, I'm just so busy uh, that I just need somebody to put one there. But... As and you I, know, they will. They will, yeah, and what's more, they will enough. come in mm. and actually, um, you know, look deal after it things, and deal yeah. with things. And yeah. it's yes. a matter of biting the. Uh, yeah, I just. <laughs> I, I've had people say, "Yes, we'll do it for you," and then we just haven't taken it to that next step. But mm. uh, yeah, I really should. In fact, I was thinking yesterday. There's a shrub that I grow at the nursery, uh, a thing called Caryopteris, which is sort of in the mint family. Oh yes, uh, and it's just an absolute bee attracting plant. I mean, up at the nursery, the the plants are just swarming with them at the moment because this is high flowering season for yes. Caryopteris. Yes, uh, and it's a great little plant. And I was thinking, oh, I must put some more of those in at home for the for the insects and things. And I was going to put a little row of it along one side of the veggie garden. Uh, so I must get my act together and put it in because it is a fabulous plant to attract bees. They just and that it. is such a great idea to, to run it as a border or even just dot it throughout your veggie garden, any plant that is bee attracting yeah. because it really does help to, to get all that oh, pollination yeah, going. And it's not just the bees. I mean, it's the hoverflies and all those other yes. pollinating insects. I mean, we know about bees and we know how important they are and because we get a bike product from them, we see them as particularly important. Mm. But there are lots of other important pollinating insects and exactly. creatures out there. And so you do need to be attracting things like hoverflies and lots of other uh, insects that will pollinate mm. um, and get them all into your garden. Oh, yes. You know, so I think that's that's really important. So, yes, yeah, so I'm hopefully in the next day or two I'm going to remember to put some caryopteris into my veggie garden because mm. it really is a lovely little plant. Mm. Oh, so. and I mean, even if you want to plant a few nasturtiums in your veggie garden yeah. or if you want to put some pots of lavender at the outside yeah. corners or something of your mm. veggie garden, it all really helps. Oh, it, it certainly does. So, yep. uh, and Penny mentioned the uh, elephant garlic. I mean, that's another plant that's an insect attractor. Yes, uh, and looks ornamental looks uh, and fantastic. is so useful as well. So, you know, there's lots of plants we should be considering for multi-purposing in the garden. Mm. Really mm. important. Mm. Now, am I mistaken or did you have another... Oh, yes, we've got yes, another event coming up. We have. Now, you need is, to mention it. Yes, and we haven't, so we might as well now, seeing as we haven't got anybody ringing in at the moment, but do remember we've got a few minutes if somebody's got a quick question they want only to ask Only a us. few. Yeah, only a few. But, yes, the Creswick Garden Club, which is actually a very good, strong country garden club, um, most years have a big 
day workshop going on. And their next one is coming up and it's called Making the Most of Your Space. And the guest speaker for the day will be Tino Carnavale from Gardening Australia, uh, the gorgeous Tino who runs the veggie garden down in Tassie. so he's coming to talk on Saturday, May the 30th. So it's okay. a little way off. Yep. But having said that, you need to book. So it's essential that you get in touch. Um, it's the whole of the day from 9.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon. It includes a morning and an afternoon tea and a three-course lunch. So nice. you're getting all of that and it's 50 bucks. You're joking. No, I'm not. I mean, That's it's just ridiculous. A- outrageously good that value. Is outrageous. I mean, I'd pay 50 bucks just to go and hear Tino talk for the day. Yes. You know, without all the added extras. And I know they'll have a raffle and they'll have door prizes. I know what the Crewswick Club's like because I've done the same thing for them a few years ago. Right. Um, it's going to be held at the Tangled Maze, which is on um, 2301. Midland Highway at Springmount, uh, which is just out of Creswick. Uh, and for bookings, if people do want, and they will need to book because obviously they're catering for this, so you'll oh, need yes. to be a booked person. Um, you can book with Leanne on 0437 518 That's 0437-518-159. Or you can go into uh, the email address of the Creswick Garden Club, which is Creswick Garden Club, all one word, at gmail.com. That's easy. So that's easy enough to find. Uh, it'll be a great day. Tino's a wonderful young man who really knows his stuff. And he's passionate about and what he does. And he's fun. He is so great So you'll fun. have a great fun day with yes. Tino. I mean, he, he just loves what he does and it, he, he, his whole personality exudes it. So Absolutely. you couldn't possibly not have a good day yes. uh, if you go up there. And I certainly know that uh, um, you'll get good value in your morning and afternoon teas oh, and heavens, lunch. Yes. Uh, these country clubs generally lay it on oh, pretty well. Oh, they do it very well. Yeah, so you'll probably need to go on a diet when you come <laughs> home. Um, but nonetheless, it, it should be a fantastic day. So that's Creswick Garden Club. Dot, uh, at gmail.com and it's Tino Carnavale and it'll be on Saturday, May the 30th. So certainly worth putting in your diary and it's a lovely drive up to Creswick anyway. Um, so, you know, why not indeed? And in fact, at that time of the year, there'll be autumn colour around and it, it should be looking lovely. And yeah, so it'll be sort of all full of mellow fruitfulness, I would have thought. And what a great name, the Tangled Maze. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I no, like that. It's a really interesting place, actually. Watch so, out. The yeah, yeah. plants are reaching out to oh, grab yeah. you as you walk uh, through. <laughs> people will enjoy the venue as yes. well. So so it's got everything going for it. Yep. And we've got a Fantastic. late caller that's coming. We do have a late caller. We're going to try and go straight away to Meredith in Mount Waverley. Meredith, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my query is about a small uh, conifer that I've got in a pot. It's um, Piacea glauca. Mm. It's only about a foot and a half tall, but a couple of summers ago when we had very hot weather, there was a branch on one side that got burnt and was brown. Yeah. And I just waited and nothing happened. I don't really know what happens with conifers, and I ended up pruning that off. And I wondered what was going to happen. Is it going to grow back? Or? Uh, it won't grow from that stem again. So where you cut the stem off, it won't grow from that point again. Uh, So you will have a little bit of a gap in the side of your plant due to this. So what I would suggest you do is actually tie some of the side branches in in a little bit to sort of close the gap up that way. Oh, 
Right, okay. See what I mean? Or yes. can you understand what I mean? So a couple of the live branches on either side of the gap, if you can just get a little bit of tie wire or, or a little bit of pantyhose or something like that, something soft. That's yeah, not gonna, something soft, not yeah, wire. And just pull those branches in so that they sort of lightly fill the gap and then they will sort of fluff out from there once they reshoot. Um, and eventually, after about 18 months, two years, you can take your ties away and the branches will stay where you put them. Okay, yes, I, I, I think I understand what you mean. Yeah, so that's what I would do um, to try and fill the gap again. But unfortunately, most of those conifers won't reshoot from where a branch has died. Okay, well, thanks very much. That's okay. a pleasure. And, and look, things will be all right. You've just got to do a little bit of work on it. All right, then. I'll do that. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. Yes, conifers are one of those things that uh, once a branch is gone, it's gone. Yes. Uh, not many conifers will reshoot from old wood. No. And that's always a, an issue if you are pruning conifers. You don't want to go back too far because as soon as you go back beyond where there's greenery, mm. then there's little likelihood of them shooting from that point. Mm. And so if you've got an overgrown old conifer hedge or something like that and you cut back into old wood, you're going to end up with dead gaps all through your hedge. Yes, so exactly. So you certainly don't want to allow those things to get out of hand before you try and sort of pull them back. It needs regular maintenance. Mm. We've run out of time for yet another day. Um, me. You should remind listeners you've got a few things up and running on your website at the moment. Yeah. What's your website address? Oh, look, people can just go into stephenryan.com.au. Uh, that will find. Or just just put in Stephen Ryan if, and if it'll they come put my up. name in, and if they're interested in the opera soiree, if they even put in just opera at Macedon. And remember, yeah. you've got to you've got to reply to that by Friday. Yeah, by this coming Friday, so, we need the bookings in, and uh, uh, otherwise you, you won't go. If you, you won't want get a, a glass of wine, <laughs> no, you won't get a, you won't get a canopy. <laughs> no, well, that's, no, that's that's for sure. <laughs> um, but also a reminder that if you are at all interested in going to Madagascar, it's a fantastic oh, yeah. opportunity. Yeah, yeah. and, and it's again, all up on my go website. To the website. Go in and have a look. Um, uh, I'm getting quite a lot of regular hits these days, so the website seems to be going forward quite good, well. Good, good, good. Uh, I had a spike, though, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't quite understand why. It wasn't after a program I did here. It wasn't after the program I did in Bendigo. But I had 246 people hit my website all in the one day. Goodness me. Which I don't get. I normally get 30 to 40. Okay. <laughs> all right, so time's up, so we better go. We had. Okay, but, of course, we'll be back at 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.